Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 161, late again. That's just, I can't tell if this show is killing us, <laughs> just slowly destroying us and making it so that uh, we, we don't have time to do it, and uh, therefore we, we wind up doing yet another live to tape <laughs> just before we release, which this is. We'll release this on Tuesday night. It's currently Tuesday night. I think it's important that you get everybody's expectations up before we get into the meat of the show. I prepared for this show. Okay. Uh, unlike the last one, I have show prep. It's everything's <laughs> already. It's just, yeah, we were all set to tape last night and just physical exhaustion from, you know, yet more goddamn home improvement stuff over the weekend. We hung curtains. We hung curtains because that's punk rock. No, no, no. Oh, we, we asked for assistance from Trebuchet and Pixie Sticks. In, yes. Our, our friends in, of the show who, who brought every bit of available skill required to hang nine foot curtains. And that's not sarcasm. After a certain point, there were, we, we assisted them and then we stood back and watched and we're very appreciative of their efforts. Well, there were power tools and I could very <laughs> easily injure myself. I literally drew blood this evening opening an envelope to get at my Wonder Woman Blu-ray. He did. I, <laughs> I saw. bled all over the floor for like 10 <laughs> minutes because of an envelope. And maybe you should see somebody about that anemia. Sunday, I'm just <laughs> blithely wandering around with power drills and screw guns. I probably needed to be protected for my own good. <laughs> and then, yes, uh, a day of the day job. And it was just, oh, no, we, we have to tape tomorrow. Physically can't do it. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't decide if just physically this show is killing us or, or, or if we've really become punk rock. It's just DIY because the more I think about it, there's no end game to this show. There is no podcast. There's no dot, dot, dot between this show and profit. So it's, we're just doing it for fun. Are, are you going to stick your head out the window and start asking people to yell, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore? No, I learned from last time. That doesn't work. Okay. It's good in the movies. But All right. I'm just <laughs> concerned about your well-being. It's, it's, <laughs> this, this show is fun to do. And for, for a long time, I really perseverated over it. And the, yeah, I, I prepared for this show, but I, there was a long stretch where I would be all day Saturday writing notes and putting, making connections between books and things. And, and at some point, I think I realized you can't professional up stuff like Iron Fist sucks too much. It just doesn't work. <laughs> And in, after, in my professional considered opinion. After a certain point, <laughs> you're you're not threading the needle. You're crawling up your own ass. So in some way, the last few episodes, I wasn't happy with how I was unprepared last week. But the last couple episodes where it's, all right, we're just going to do it live to tape and do it. I've, I've had fun with that. It's freeing. It is. In fact, he's not wearing pants again. No, that's uh, not true. <laughs> still. Still not wearing <laughs> pants is what we're looking at here. So... <laughs> So yeah, it's going to be yet another live to tape, uh, which is fine. Cause, yeah, it's, it's hard to edit a podcast. I don't know if you've ever tried it. <laughs> I, I know for a fact, Amanda, you've never tried it because here's the problem with editing a podcast. You know how when you listen to yourself on tape, you sound funny? Yes. Imagine doing that for like five straight hours once a week. It's it's almost enough to make you scream out a window. We're lucky <laughs> you're, you're still alive. Oh, it's it's hard as hell and it's made the shows you know somewhat tighter but by by the end of it I my jaw was knotted from grinding my <laughs> teeth. I'm like, "Oh, good another dick joke from the idiot and I'm the idiot." I, 
so I kind of like this. It feels kind of punk rock now. Yeah, we'll just do it live to tape. You are awful harsh on yourself. I know. I suck so much. I got to stop doing are that. Are you Danny Rand? <laughs> Danny Rand. <laughs> Nobody's Danny Rand, for Christ's sake. No. <laughs> Poor Danny Rand. <laughs> yes, Danny Rand and all his billions. I'm sure he feels so bad. Uh, yeah, and he lives in a, in a cockroach... <laughs> Cockroach-infested hellhole. We're going to be talking about Defenders, and this week's show, we finally caught up to it. He, he sleeps there sometimes. He has a penthouse somewhere. They, they showed it in his series. In what? Oh, his series suck. <laughs> That's part of the problem. Should we, should we just move to the Defenders? I think we're just going to move to the Defenders. Should I stop unless, waxing rhetoric about how freeing it is that it's just, hey, it goes into say, the Unless there's it, something else that you want to bitch about. <laughs> I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> I'm just wondering if now it's not time to start saying, all right, we'll, we'll start doing a live stream. Because oh, I don't, God. Oh, God, the look of horror that just went across Amanda's face. When I said, not on YouTube or anything. No. Nobody no. needs to see me. Periscope. For Christ's sake. <laughs> no Periscope either. <laughs> I get angry enough Twitch? at this. <laughs> I get angry. Twitch we could do. No, I get angry enough about the sound quality of this, and this is going through a soundboard and digital recording. Yeah, I'm not going to do fucking Periscope. We're not doing live stream. <laughs> If you want live stream, email us at uh, crazyoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. We'll, we'll do it, but I don't think anybody really wants that. Anybody who has been subjected to me live tweeting something, you don't want the live stream. It, we'll, we'll see if anybody replies. <laughs> All right, so we finally caught up the Defenders. It came out like, what, a month ago? Yes. It was right after we came back. Was it, No, it was, yeah, it was like the end of August, so it was about a month ago. It was... About when your parents visited. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, about uh, three or four weeks ago. And uh, this is the second of the Netflix series that we just didn't watch when it first came out. We were we, on... we would have, but the basement flooded. Uh, yeah, we, we would have. Uh, okay, there was stuff in the way. <laughs> but it's also, right, even after we dealt with that, it was a couple of weeks before we, we actually sat down to watch it. Right. And, and we were on point with the first several Defenders, uh, not defender, uh, <clears throat> Daredevil and Jessica Jones yep. and Luke Cage, um, and the second Defenders, not Defenders. Jesus, why? Why Daredevil? is Defenders and Daredevil locked up in my head? I don't know. Um, I would say, you know, we should have taken it as a good sign that nobody got sick. The cat never threw up while we were trying to watch it. Yeah, you never that, threw up. <laughs> that was that was one of the traditions. It's a, <laughs> we would watch the Netflix shows, and somebody in the home office would get sick. <laughs> Like for the first one, we got audio tape of the cat throwing up, which <laughs> felt newsworthy at the time. It did. You don't hear, you don't get a lot of media of cats yorking. Mm. Uh, <laughs> really, we're a one-stop shop for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's a reason for that because it's fucking gross and stupid. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then for the second, <laughs> we burned through the second series of daredevil we started friday night and that's how we normally do it with the 13 episode one start friday night the day it comes out go all through saturday and all through sunday and then sit down to do the show now during the last episode episode 13 of daredevil season two we ordered chinese food five minutes after the end of the 13th episode i saw it again <laughs> so we did not do uh, if you're looking for our daredevil season two show yeah that didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there was Iron Fist and yeah, I the the problem It wasn't puke so much as apathy. <laughs> well, that was the first problem. Neither Amanda or I care about Iron Fist as a character in particular. Yeah. It's you know, he came out of the kung fu movie boom of the mid-70s for which, you know, I was 
too enthralled with Star Wars because I was five, six, seven years old. Mm. And so I never really cared about Iron Fist. I think I had one or two issues as a kid where it was the, the deal in my house was, okay, if you were good while we were out, my folks would spring for a 30 cent comic on the spinner rack at the corner market. And, okay, I've got all of them this week. What's an Iron Fist? Well, an Iron Fist is a comic book I didn't like. And it did not help that, yeah, the running count for the number of times I fell asleep during the Iron Fist show (laughs) is six. And I call it a running count because that includes the final episode. I don't think I've seen all of the final episode yet. So at some point, I should go back and fire that back up. Which gives me an opportunity to raise that count. There will, I will say, there'll be an opportunity for you to do that the next time you realize that you need something to put you to sleep. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just easier to pour a quarter Jack Daniels down your head. <laughs> yeah, it's the Iron Fist miniseries didn't do anything for me. I think it engaged you more than me. Well, I like Colleen Wing incongruously to all this. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So you're the only one watching Iron Fist for Colleen Wing. Yeah, I, I'm all. I'm. I'm Colleen Wing. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got all excited. You got all excited at the end of Luke Cage yeah. when there was a Colleen Wing learn well, kung badass. fu flyer on the. I couldn't before this. I couldn't pull Colleen Wing out of a lineup. Where did you become familiar with this character? It seemed- she she'd had some dealings um, in some street level books outside of Iron Fist. So she was in some of Misty Knight's arcs in. Um, Heroes for Hire and that sort of vein of things. All right, so I probably had seen the character and it just didn't stick. Because, yeah, it's other than uh, the recent Power Man and Iron Fist book that uh, I think just wrapped up to give them both their own books to for Marvel to try to make, I don't know, 7 $8 a month <laughs> instead of $4 based on the Defenders. Uh, yeah, I, I really haven't didn't follow those nearly as much as you did. So, all right. That's- she's, she's badass. The, uh, she is, maybe perhaps in the comics, in the Defenders, uh, her main line was Danny. That's true. Repeated in about, it was like, that's, you know, the Eskimos have like 46 different words for snow. <laughs> Colleen Wing has, has one word. Has, has one word for, for. For everything, and it's Danny. Yeah, for, oh, oh you sweet summer child, Danny. <laughs> Oh, danger, Danny. <laughs> I'm afraid, Danny. <laughs> there were a couple episodes. It felt like every third word she said. It's like it, it, she never needed to call for a line because if she wasn't sure what her line was, it was Danny. Yeah. <laughs> line, Danny. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've been talking about the Iron Fist. The The biggest problem with the Defenders show, it's, first of all, I liked it. Did you like it? I did. Okay. Uh, it was not the end all be all street level Avengers that I was hoping for like a year no. and a half ago. And Iron Fist is the problem. And we talked about this during the show. Iron Fist is now the Poochie of the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Netflix universe because he, wherever he goes, he fucks something up or he gets kidnapped or he goes off half cocked. So it just reminded me of that Homer Simpson's quote. Whenever Iron Fist is not on screen, the other characters should ask, where's Iron Fist? Do we have to go rescue Iron Fist? <laughs> Do we have to go stop Iron Fist from beating on somebody he shouldn't be beating on? I have to ask, Rob, is is Iron Fist the Leroy Jenkins of this franchise? <laughs> <laughs> he kind of is. Because <laughs> he's just like, oh, what? The hand is in there? Danny Rand! <laughs> 
<laughs> Damn it, Danny. You're always fucking doing You're always that. always fucking doing this, Danny. <laughs> At least I got my revenge. No, you didn't. No. <laughs> and now Misty lost an arm. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, I defy you to watch The Defenders and not hear that Homer Simpson line in your head now and again. <laughs> it's the first... <laughs> The first thing we see in Defenders is Iron Fist losing a fight. The first time to Iron... To a girl. Yes, to a girl, which, hey, that's fine. Hey, it's 21st century America. You could kick my ass, Amanda. I'm not going to look sconce at that. However, <laughs> Iron Fist sucks so much. We get all these other scenes to show Matt Murdock and Jessica Jones uh, in Manhattan and Luke Cage coming back to Manhattan. The minute Iron Fist lands in New York... An earthquake starts. New York itself is trying to reject Iron Fist. <laughs> or swallow him yeah. into the as, earth. <laughs> as an invader. It's a, Iron Fist must be destroyed. <laughs> Iron Fist appearing in your place of work or domicile makes that place suck and not want to exist anymore. <laughs> and it, so through the whole thing, it's uh, the defenders, they make Iron Fist the key of this story, which is not a smart way to go. Wait a minute. I get it now. The key of this story? He's Don. Everybody hates Don. Buffy the Vampire <laughs> Don Slayer. Don Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> the key. Oh, God. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> Everybody does hate Don, and I defy you to tell me differently. Iron Fist is a late comer to an existing cast that was working well together. Yep. Uh and yeah, it was it was the key to a post-apocalyptic thing where everybody said, yeah, okay, all right, good, there's a sixth season, all right, it's not ending like that, thank God. <laughs> so, I mean, making Iron Fist the key to this, the hand needs him to break through this wall that's somehow underneath Manhattan protecting dragons, because... Why not? Game of Thrones money, <laughs> I, I guess... Uh, the defenders need him for some reason. I don't know why, because he has the iron fist. Checkbook. Yeah, all right, checkbook. <laughs> because God knows the his actual iron fist is fucking useless. Without it, he gets his ass beat. Seriously, I don't think he wins a fight until he uses the iron fist. And the iron fist, he springs it like he's an 80-year-old with a busted prostate. It's like... <laughs> Once in a great while, if he really needs it, he can just stop and concentrate. And everybody, shut up! I'm I'm picturing, <laughs> I'm picturing girls' ankles from the 30s. And then he can get his iron fist. Hey, does he have to get up in the middle of the night because of the iron fist? <laughs> yeah, and it's either that or it's the opposite. He gets it when he doesn't want it, like when he's fighting Electra and it knocks the wall down. So yeah, he he's either got a misty old man piss iron fist or he's popping wood at the chalkboard. There's no middle ground. Iron fist. Is in no way a grown up with his powers. There's very much some kind of filthy analogy going on there, which you can tell because I've just explained it in great detail. <laughs> I mean, so, but everybody needs Iron Fist and he's just kind of useless. If your plan requires Iron Fist, I don't care who you are. Go home. The, the, come up with a new plan. <laughs> The hand, come up, take another 500 years if you need it. You can come up with something better, something that's going to work a little more effectively. But we still like the show. I think that's the important thing. <laughs> we did. I just didn't like Iron Fist. And I don't think it's Finn Jones is the actor who plays yes. Iron Fist. I don't think it's his fault. No, because he was likable on Game of Thrones before he left it to go be Danny Rand. Who was he on Game of Thrones? He was uh, 
Daenerys's lover that was eventually recast with somebody else, um, Dario, something or other. This sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, look, I watch Game of Thrones drunk a lot. So it's, put- it's the character that we will find. He's been recast. Who she left behind in Mira, Aunt Mirant, whatever that place that's over in Esteros, Esteros, uh, <laughs> Esteros. <laughs> I'm tired too, and <laughs> and uh, she he eventually goes off to to run the Golden Company, which is ironically what Cersei thinks she's going to be buying with her funds that she's just gotten from the Iron Bank to be the mercenaries to help fight uh, the Dothraki. Uh, look, I've and read all of the books and have watched every episode. You're asking a lot for me to remember <laughs> this shit. I'm sure some other friends of the show who are familiar with Game of Thrones will jump in here on this uh, via our Facebook page, Crisis on Infinite Midlives <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. It's a good way to get a message to us. It's hard for me to reply. The The phone app for Facebook fucking sucks because every, everything comes in. We get messages from people and, oh, I try to reply. And every time I trust, press the button, oh, Facebook has crashed. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Does somebody need to get off your lawn? <laughs> it's, <laughs> I just, I think it would work if I would get a personal Facebook page, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. I just, number one, I don't want people from my past to find me. Let's just assume that there's criminal reasons or something cool and not just uh, people I don't want to talk to. Yeah, I don't want to talk to any of them. That's what it really comes down to. But it's also selling my privacy to Zuck. That's not what I want. Number one, that's awful personal. That sounds like a supervillain tagline from like a Kirby fourth world book from 71. Zuck monetized my privacy. (laughs) Kneel before Zuck. I've gone off on a tangent here. You have. Yes, please. My, the goddamn fucking machine. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to restart now. I'm not doing it. In any okay. event. Um, I just want to suck the joy. <laughs> that Finn Jones was was that other character once upon a time on Game of Thrones. Yes. Okay. And I, yes. All right. We're, we're getting back. I, I don't think. I, I don't dislike Iron Fist because of him. I think he's probably acting Danny in the way that he has been written both in his own series and in the defenders, you know, they write him like, yeah, this babe in the woods who's grown up in some rural paradise and has only been taught how to punch dragons. He's not going to be street smart or have any idea of how to function in the real world. And and I get that. But the problem is if you're going to write a story like this, you need to make the kid who's done nothing but learn hand-to-hand combat 15 hours a day since he was 10 years old. You can't make him the second best fighter to, you know, a blind dude who took some time away from kicking ass to attend college and law school and maybe get himself laid every now and again. (laughs) You've introduced a character problem when Daredevil is the better fighter than the guy who's done nothing but learn how to fight and can only win when he gets his, you know, throbbing, turgid iron fist. Yes. <clears throat> the, the they got my dick message. <laughs> Turgidity of Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, the the biggest problem, and really the only problem, and it wasn't an insurmountable one. I, I did find myself after a while going, "Oh, all right, more Iron Fist. Iron Fist gone off somewhere. Iron Fist thinks he knows shit. You know, oh, look, Iron Fist is going to pick a fight with somebody." And eventually, we got the inevitable fight between Iron Fist and Daredevil because for some reason. 
comic book fans just, oh, it's not good enough to beat up villains. What happens when the superheroes would fight each other? And let's drive another. I don't remember Iron Fist and Daredevil. Yeah, I remember I remember Luke Cage at, at yeah, Iron no, Fist the, fighting. Yeah, it was probably episode five-ish. I, I think you were flagging on your second bottle of wine. Oh, yes. So, it, okay. yeah, no, that, it was not a long it was sequence. good wine. But <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, <laughs> so it would. Iron Fist was the biggest problem, but not insurmountable. It was okay, but the the problem is they they should have known. It, I don't I don't know what the production schedule was like. Iron Fist kind of his own series kind of tanked, mm. and and yet it's like all right, well let's push forward uh, no matter what, and, and you know let's try and make this work with this character who has not really been in, embraced. They really with Netflix, what they tried to do was what they did with Avengers, which is do all the individual stories to get people excited to see all those characters in one flick. Yep. But yeah, the difference is all those original Avengers movies were good. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if Marvel did a four Bushman movie <laughs> and tried to shove him into the Avengers. They probably wouldn't have worked out very well. I don't know. I'd go see that. <laughs> actually, yeah, I probably would. But and, all right. There actually is a precedent in the Marvel movies. Uh, the, the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, that didn't set the world on fire at the box office. But yeah, in that case, Marvel actually, I don't know if they're young enough or smart enough in doing these, but all right, we're going to make a pivot and we'll bring in a new guy who's actually right to do it. Yeah. And it let them turn their back on the Edward Norton flick and and get the Hulk right. So I don't know what the answer is here. If they should have said, okay, that's there, there probably was timing problems with, all right, well, no matter what happened with Iron Fist, we have to start on this day because, yeah, we're going to need Jessica Jones over on this set. Yeah, well, I guess it's about finding the right foil for Danny because what makes the Hulk work is now that he doesn't have movies that are necessarily centered on him. What he does have are characters around him with whom he he works well in terms of dialogue and or action. And to a certain degree, um, Colleen Wing is, is too similar to Danny because they were raised very similarly in terms of the fight is all you know. It's what you do, and so there's they're compatible, but not enough of a foil to one another. And, and whereas, uh, say, you know, consider the trailers that have just come out for Thor Ragnarok, and it's Thor versus Gladiator Hulk, and it's like, hey, I know him from work. It's just <laughs> well, it's they've also had well, it's weird. I want to say they've had a lot more time to set that up, but. In just hours on film time, we spent a lot more time with all of these characters than we've spent with any of the Avengers, including Iron Man, for Christ's sake. Yeah. So that no, that was that doesn't really hold up that, oh, that relationship has had more time to set itself up. No, but it, it's a more considered dynamic between the characters. Whereas I don't think Danny needs somebody in his world... The the scenes where he worked the best in both his series and the Defenders are when he was with Madame Gao. Because she is this grounded, wise character. Sure, she's evil or self-serving or whatever. But where he's being naive and idealistic and and wants to be very one-note, she's got the tapestry and the the ability to kind of look at the larger picture that grounds his really out there innocent statements. 
Well, in the long run, that can be Luke Cage, but we've taken yes. a hell of a long time to get there, and so far nobody has said, oh yeah, we're going to have a Heroes for Hire series. It's No, Luke Cage gets his second series sometime after Punisher and I think Jessica Jones, and yeah. I think they're still planning on an Iron Fist 2 series for some reason. Right, so you are correct. In the long run, that will be Luke Cage. In the meantime... He, he's got to work with the cast that he has or they need to come up with some more characters who can be that for him. <laughs> what they need to do is look at Marvel's own history. Why are we spending all this time trying to get Luke Cage and Iron Fist onto a Heroes for Hire team? Oh, it's because neither one of them could carry their own fucking book for more than two years <laughs> back in the 1970s and they chucked them together to try to save it and it worked for a while. <laughs> the Iron Fist can't carry his own book. We should have known that for a long time. Yeah, we got the Brubaker Fraction one, which was well-reviewed, but even that one, uh, I suppose that's the core of the problem. You're not going to get me to give a shit about Iron Fist. <laughs> he wears green pajamas and yellow slippers, and he punches dudes, and he's got Batman's backstory, except Batman is awesome. Period. Okay. <laughs> that's uh, ah. Okay. Rob everybody. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, there we go. I almost hit the Hulk theme, and that would have been a whole different story. Well, then you would have had to go on, go on further about your dislike for Iron Fist. Well, it, what they should have done here is just it, paid Jones off. It's like, all right, look, man, it didn't work. It's not your fault. <laughs> and, <laughs> and do something else. Bring a completely new person in. You know, you've got Shang-Chi if you're in love with the goddamn Kung Fu angle, but... You know, what other, you could do Moon Knight, the Kate Bishop Hawkeye, you want to make it less of a sausage fest, that works. Um, my vote would be for She-Hulk. She-Hulk would work, I'm not sure they have the budget for it, but yeah, that'd be awesome. The fucking Punisher, we've got the Punisher. <laughs> we've established in this that, that hand ninjas are only sort of maybe kind of remotely human and sort of the walking dead. Now, that's the whole impetus for the Defenders being okay to blow up an entire fucking building in Midtown Manhattan is Spoilers. you're not going to spoil the whole thing. Well, Iron Fist sucks is not exactly a spoiler, but yeah, spoilers. But yeah, they, they blow up a whole building and it's ostensibly because, oh, we're not going to kill anybody because it's just hand ninjas. You've got the Punisher. Let a machine gun a few of these fuckers down. Okay. That would have been awesome. Let John Bernthal, you know, add some charisma to this fucking thing. So we've established what you don't like about Defenders. What did you enjoy about the Defenders? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I go back and forth between thinking there was no place in this for Jessica Jones and thanking God that she was actually there. Okay. Because number one, Kristen Ritter is awesome as early Jessica Jones as written by Bendis. Yes. Uh, but number two, she kind of wound up being us she was the audience surrogate because she doesn't want any part of these superheroics. You know, she's just this desperately broken human <laughs> being. She's got a day job. She would not want to walk into a room full of ninjas and punch them around under normal circumstances. You know, and she is not, well, she's got physical powers. Her backstory, as we got in her series, was far more psychological than physical. Yeah. Yeah, it was a much as much a psychological battle with Kilgrave as any of the physical parts of it. This is not a character that yells spoon and just runs into battle. 
Like Danny Rand. Like Danny Rand. <laughs> so in its own way, it made no fucking sense at all for her to be involved in this, except, well, she got a series. Fuck it. We, she signed the paper. She'll show up when we tell her to. But because she is us, yeah, she wants no part of it. She's commenting on it. Um, she can't really believe any of this shit is happening. She's constantly horrified and tries to get out. And then, all right, but fuck it, I'll come back in. And constantly commenting on how fucked up this situation is, which if you don't live in the 616, yeah, ninjas, <laughs> just regular ninjas, not even undead ninjas. Like, shit, is that like five ninjas? Your day's gone wrong. There's something terrible happening. Just dudes in ninja suits with briefcases standing by the bus. Your day's fucked up. There's something wrong going on and you should probably go somewhere else. She's the one commenting on it. So it's, it's kind of cool. Um, so it, how did you feel about having her there? Because there were really times where it's like, yeah, all right, we've got Luke Cage, who, yep, his true north is Justice, and Daredevil, who uh, he can't stop putting on the suit like a crackhead, and Iron Fist, who's dude, almost literally yelling spoon and just running into a fucking <laughs> group of ninjas, and then Jessica Jones, who's a PI. There were times it's like, this is this doesn't work, and yet it did work, at least for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree with your your audience surrogate piece, and I I liked how they had her characters, and they did this for the other ones as well, that are her sort of periphery characters, like Trish and, um, and Malcolm, is that the kid's name? The one that keeps showing up in her apartment that just desperately wants to help, and she keeps pushing him away. Uh, did Maybe. What kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I liked how they sort of were growing that and her sort of reluctant. There was an overall theme of family to this series that played out through the core four characters, but also through their their peripheral characters as well. Even with this, I'm going back to The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Cage has made a name for himself in his hometown. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew has started taking on pro bono work. And, uh, and Danny, we love Danny. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. That just flashed in my head. <laughs> That's a very good Marge Simpson you have there. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> Either way, go ahead. Uh, so I I enjoyed watching Jessica through this just because I, I I enjoyed the character. But I agree, she was the audience surrogate. But she had enough little quirky moments, like when they're on the subway and they're heading toward the big fight. And she sees a homeless guy across from them on the subway. Yes. With a plastic bag full of like cans of beer. And she just goes over and takes one. <laughs> you know what? This story did give a somewhat redemptive arc for her to put her back into, get her back into a position where she feels like she can take on PI work for yes. season two. Mm. But, and this was really important to me, as a drunk, <laughs> the fact that she stayed consistent. It's a... <laughs> She, there, at no point during all of this and all these great heroics going on did she have the standard TV or movie moment where she puts down the bottle and says, it's time to become an outstanding citizen. No, she stole a wino's fucking beer just before the final boss fight. Yeah. And even then she's like, can we go get another few drinks before we do this? Because this is stupid. It's been, a, it's been a long week. <laughs> Whoever wrote that scene, I guarantee, has sat next to us at the fucking Hyatt Bar in San Diego. <laughs> Because, and, and yeah, after the fight, when they all think Daredevil's dead, spoilers, 
Where, did, where does Luke find her? At a bar. At the bar. On her fourth drink. When she decides, okay, it's time to go back to the office. What's she carrying? A fucking bottle and a brown paper bag. It's a bold move to show a superhero who is not redeemed by putting down the bottle. But also, I, I applaud the fact that they just show her as she is. They don't make a caricature out of the drinking. It's not like some weird drunken master shit. It's she just consumes the alcohol. Yeah, she drinks. Yeah. Maybe she's got bad reasons to drink, but she drinks and goes through her life with occasional rough patches, as most of us who drink do. We like to drink. I love to drink. Right now, I'm on my second fine Founders All Day IPA, because as soon as I hear back from Berkshire Brewing Company, I'll switch back. But for right now, Founders comes in a 15-pack, which I'll get instead of the 12-pack, because again, I like to drink. Showtime, a-holes. See, I like to drink enough. This is the button I meant to press. I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Things are going well. But anyway, but yeah, some of us generally know our limits. I like to drink. I get to my job every day. You know, yeah, I drink myself unconscious more nights than not. Jessica Jones is a fucking superhero for us. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're looking at me with big, terrified eyes like, oh, my God, I live with him. And, and this is why I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jessica Jones is our superhero. That said, John Constantine would knock her dick into the dirt. But that's a whole different show. Different, that's a whole different, different episode. Different. I'm a nasty piece of work. <laughs> Ask anybody. So yeah, I really, I wound up really liking Jessica Jones in this, even though there really were times where it's like she has no place in this. Yeah, and I guess my questions going forward are: they they took some time in the final episode to have her resolve whatever happened between her and Luke that caused a falling out after her series. Yes, they didn't really specify what awfulness happened, but she drinks, so let's just go from there. Yeah, it's been a while since a. Whatever happened, happened in the Jessica Jones series, which I really liked, but I have not gone to revisit. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as part of it, he found out that she killed his wife, so I'm sure that played into it. Yeah, that doesn't seem like his kink. Not yeah. when his true north is justice, which is possibly the worst line ever uttered in a Marvel or any other superhero movie. And I'm counting Dolph Lundgren's Punisher, um, <laughs> the Wonder Woman 1978 series. <laughs> Luke's true north is justice. Oh, I'm going to go get another drink. In the comics, Jessica and Luke <laughs> are together as a couple and have a child together. Yes. So I wonder if that is in the cards for these characters eventually in these series or if they're going to go in a different direction. Because right now Luke is with Claire. I think it has to because most of the reason why Jessica Jones has worked in the comics through uh, coming out of Alias but going into The Pulse Mm -hmm. and then into New Avengers was because of her relationship with Luke. She never wanted to be a superhero. You know, even when she was in Christ, I just drew a blank on whatever her superhero name was. Jewel. Thank you. Uh, she was, she did it because she thought she had to, and then she just sort of stopped. But it was, she was there because of the relationship and certainly held her own and contributed when she had to and grew as a character. That's a, I, I said this as we were watching it and we'll, we'll never, <laughs> we'll never get him. I'd love to get Bendis on this show for like two questions. <laughs> Because I'd really love to ask him, how did it feel? You created this character in like 2000, 2001 that had so much growth up through Secret Wars at least. You know, to go from 
the character that we kind of see in the Netflix show of all mm-hmm. busted up and terrible relationships and drinking too much to a, a mother in a stable relationship who's you know gotten kind of back into everything that I said I don't want from Jessica Jones <laughs> in the TV show. Yeah, yeah. I keep drinking. Uh, how does it feel to then, because of this TV show, have to basically bring her back to square one and make her kind of bust it up? Yeah, it's a good excuse to you know get back with a uh, Gatos on art and do the Jessica Jones book, which sure. I'm enjoying. But yeah, to, to sort of take all that progress, this character that you grew personally. And then you have to sort of, okay, pith her, (laughs) lobotomize her back to square one. I'd love to know his thought process. He might be, (laughs) he might be like, you know what? I wrote the first plot of her back the way she was on the back of my $4 million check to do the (laughs) AKA Jessica Jones. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I got completely off track. That's okay. So, so you enjoy Jessica Jones, Luke, Daredevil. Uh, Charlie Cox is, they're both really good as the individual characters. Uh, Daredevil is more compelling in this than Luke Cage is. Luke Cage kind of comes off in Defenders, certainly not in the Luke Cage series, uh, comes off as kind of one note. He was fine, but yes, he's, he's back and immediately just wants to do the right thing. You know, after he breaks off a piece of Claire, uh, <laughs> hey, he's, he's done time. I don't blame him. He, he has needs. Besides, what's her face from, uh, uh, I was going to say from kids, but no, ew, from uh, Clerks 2. We'll go with that one at least. <laughs> but yeah, he was kind of kind of plain. Okay, yep, he's the good guy. Well, he's the catalyst for all of this because Misty, who takes him aside after he gets out and, and you know brings him around the neighborhood, you know, points him at this one kid. You know, I need you to try to get this kid on a straight and narrow. And from there, he learns that the kid is involved in something nefarious. And then that leads to discovering that that nefarious thing is the hand. That's <laughs> <clears throat> no, sorry. I, I just heard you. Know, he follows the kid and sees he's involved in something nefarious. What's he involved in? For a $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. Bring in the defenders. <laughs> thought we weren't talking about Danny Rand. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, you're right. He is kind of the, the catalyst to this. And because he's, he's single-minded and... And justice is his true north. They, <laughs> it brings everybody else along. It 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 causes Matt to fall off the not fighting wagon. Yeah, I, that had to happen sooner rather than later. I mean, the the weird thing was. So again, I I think uh, he was. Uh, hold on, I got his name. Mike Coulter. I don't know why I can never remember his name without looking at it. Yeah, I thought his portrayal of Cage was fine in this. I thought it was a lot more compelling in Luke Cage. But then again, there was so much... Harlem itself was kind of a character in that. And, yeah. and with the the callbacks to you know, 70s black exploitation films, there was a huge amount going on in that that he could just sort of anchor and he did really well in that. Here he was, uh, yep, he's a good guy out of prison and bulletproof. Yes. Trying to do the right thing. Right. And that's fine, but when you've got Jessica Jones stealing wino beers and a Daredevil trying desperately to decide whether he wants to kick ass or do pro bono work, <laughs> uh, I thought, yeah, Daredevil was more compelling in this. But part of that was also they used this to set up Daredevil Season 3, which we'll get to in a at some point in the not-too-distant future. But yeah, it's uh, Charlie Cox, he's still really good as Daredevil. Uh, it did seem a little strange that we sort of pulled focus on everything that was going on to really push him toward 
the third season of Daredevil. Well, I mean, and, they they made the big bad in this Electra. Yeah, so you kind of have to spend more time with him because it's Electra. Yeah, and that made a certain amount of sense as it was happening. Uh, but I'm not. Again, spoilers. When they killed Alexandra, I was legitimately surprised. I didn't in any way see it coming. And that's who we thought the big bad was going to be. Right. So I'm like, wow, this is really cool. But yeah, then it becomes Electra, and yeah, uh, <laughs> it just seems... I get why they did it. It's all right. If we're going to have any kind of physical showdown, any money shot for the, the final episode... It makes sense to have Electra and Daredevil kicking each other's ass than Charlie Cox kicking a 60-something-year-old <laughs> woman across the bottom of Manhattan. Yeah. But it's it's also, yeah, you've got this character. But wait, at the same time, Madame Gao is an 80 or 1,000-year-old woman, and she holds her own. She's got some sort of like weird force chi thing, like like Yoda. <laughs> and, and you can do that and do it to great effect when there's a ton of action going on, and you cut to that real quick and then cut away. Yeah. If it's gonna if it's gonna come down to any kind of mano imano fight, <laughs> they would have to CGI or like Yoda in Attack of the Clones, <laughs> just flipping around like a spastic. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants that. But nobody wants that. That's why they didn't do it. So it made a certain amount of sweat sense to switch to Electra. But yeah, it's <laughs> what, what's her name again? I got to go back to my cast list. You've got a two-time Academy Award nominee versus Elodie Young, who was in GI Joe Redemption. It, she's fine as Electra, but not nearly as compelling as Sigourney Weaver was you know, through the whole thing. True. Um. So yeah, it's it seemed like kind of a weird choice. It was really exciting to see straight from Frank Miller and David Mazzuchelli's Born Again that Matt in straight from Born Again in bed with Sister Maggie sitting on the bed and the cross on the table. But even that felt kind of weird because I don't know where they get that story from this. That story was Matt Murdock lost everything. And it takes somebody, ideally the kingpin, to learn his identity and basically take his life from him. And here we've got this thing where uh, everybody thinks he was kidnapped by the defenders and he's just sort of thought dead because of it. So I'm not really sure what he kind of lost here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Unless they're doing this to set up that Matt comes back and he's separate from Daredevil because we had this thought that Matt was going to come back and be like oh it was the devil of hell's kitchen that did this and that was going to take the blame away from I mean, ultimately if you haven't seen this yet again spoilers the, the <laughs> defenders end the hand by among other things placing a strategic amount of C4 in a in a Manhattan uh, sky rise <laughs> skyliner yeah <laughs> And and tumble the thing, implode it into the earth. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> which is terrorist activity. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you don't walk away from that and don't and not find yourself in like Guantanamo. <laughs> I, oh yeah, let, let's take the whole inventory. They blow up the building. Everybody thinks they kidnapped a lawyer and got him killed. 
they think they're connected to the death of this millionaire philanthropist who was, you know, single-handedly, you know, funding the Philharmonic. They, they don't know that she's a ninja, for Christ's sake. <laughs> they get a cop dismembered. <laughs> and they get sent home with a warning. <laughs> I see you kids here again. Yeah, they did all this. Ooh. Yeah, they did all this stuff to sort of make. You know, oh, this is a terrible thing we're doing. Oh, we're going to be in so much trouble. Well, at least Matt won't get in trouble because they think we can. And they just send everybody home. Millions upon millions upon millions of dollars of not just property damage but city cleanup. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> somebody. Even if the thing is, oh no, everything went into the hole. Oh, the hole where the dragon is. Great. So that means this property is now uninhabitable because believe me, every cryptozoologist is filing a fucking injunction to get in there and brush off dragon bones and take pictures of them. So now a big chunk of lower Manhattan is completely useless. But yeah, all right. You guys, don't worry. You only made one cop unemployable. You guys just go on home. Yeah. But we liked it. We, we, we did. <laughs> the ending didn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. And everybody goes home because reasons. Because everybody has another series. Because we can't imprison Christ. We already imprisoned one of the heroes in his <laughs> own series. We can't put them all in jail for Christ's sake. Sure you can. <laughs> so Jessica Jones, season two, episode one. Jessica has the DTs in Rikers Island. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. I might watch that, actually. <laughs> See what I'm in for. <laughs> Jessica Jones in Women of Cell Block H. <laughs> I would totally watch that. <laughs> I want to see that right now. <laughs> uh, it's a, yeah, it's weird. I liked a lot more of it than I did. And there are certain parts that don't hold up if you look at it particularly closely. And the ending certainly is one of them. Because, yeah, all that building they did to make it so, oh, they think Matt was kidnapped and... Yeah, it ultimately didn't make a difference. Matt Murdock could have gone there, taken his mask off in front of the chief of police. Hi, I'm Matt Murdock. My social security number is 014. <laughs> da, 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 da. Then uh, I'm going to leave my wallet here. And, uh, can everybody see this rocket launcher? Can you see it? <laughs> no, they still would have sent them home. Wouldn't yeah. have made a difference. So, yeah, there were parts of it that didn't hold up. Generally, I kind of liked it. I still think I'm fine if they decide they want to get rid of Iron Fist. <laughs> Or let's just cut to the chase, and by the end of Luke Cage season two, fine, it's Heroes for Hire, which is a hell of a disservice to Mike Coulter, who carried his own series very well, but... I think how things play out will depend in large part on if the next Luke Cage series is as successful as the first one. Yeah, and I've really got high hopes for it, because I really enjoyed the first one. I enjoy it more... Now that I've seen Iron Fist. Yes. Uh, yeah, the biggest problem, no sweet Christmas. No sweet, yeah. no sweet Christmas. Failure. Complete failure. Actually, no, I think somebody said sweet Christmas, but it wasn't. I think it was you. <laughs> it might have been me. I thought it was Claire. <laughs> but that might have been in, in that might have been in Danny Rand's series. It's possible. <laughs> uh, uh, one thing I did like, eight episodes. Perfect length. Yes. Except it's not even the perfect length. Even then, episodes one through four, it's like, this is awesome. And then five and six. Somehow Netflix finds a way to make the middle of, no matter how long the, the series is, if it's a Marvel series, the middle drags somehow. Mm. But yeah, it's, I didn't feel like I was getting shortchanged at all. We've said repeatedly on this, 
13 episodes is too fucking long. Yes. For the other ones. It's, you're trying to fit like two and a half plots in there. And I got, uh, <laughs> we got a weekend to watch this and then do a show about it usually. Right. And somewhere in there, we got to throw up. So. <laughs> <laughs> you do maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. That's right. You're the only one who's gotten out of this alive. It'll be your turn for Punisher in a month or two. Ah, excellent. Uh, Tooth enamel's overrated. Exactly. <laughs> um, and one thing I did like the just uh, I'm going back through my notes here because again I prepared for this episode. I see that doesn't sound like it, but I did. <laughs> uh, the fight choreography made sense because you have four very different characters, you know, and you would cut to Daredevil doing kung fu shit and winning, and then Iron Fist doing kung fu shit and losing. <laughs> And then to Jessica Jones, who has no fight training whatsoever, just bashing things and hitting people with pipes. And yeah, Luke Cage, it's like, okay, punch me four or five times, and then I will bash you over the head with a big hammer blow, yeah. like in the <laughs> wrestling ring. So they, they did a good job giving everybody's character the right physical moves in fights, which I appreciated. Yes. Not a big thing, but... There was enough fighting in this. It stood out to me. I did appreciate when she finally had Madam, when Jessica Jones finally had Madam Gao on the ropes and was just beating her over the head with something heavy. That was. <laughs> it's what I want to do with old women everywhere. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's weird. It it might sound like we didn't like it, but more of it held up than didn't. Yes. It's yeah. The first four episodes were really exciting, except for Iron Fist. <laughs> And then it kind of got slow and then uh, had kind of an unbelievable ending. But, but it was enjoyable. Yeah. All right. And anything else that we want to talk about, Defenders? I'm looking forward to Daredevil 3 now, though. Yeah, I think that's a while. Punisher is next. I think Punisher is in November. Yep. And then I think after that is Jessica Jones Season 2. And then I want to say it's Luke Cage Season 2. And then it's either going to be Iron Fist Season 2 for some reason or Daredevil 3. Right. So, yeah. That sounds right. I do want to... See, it's weird. I say I want to see a Daredevil born again, but yeah, you've you've ripped out all the underpinnings so far that have made that story a classic. <laughs> well, there might be some some room for movement because, I mean, they've got somebody that is a kingpin. They've, they've got Vincent D'Onofrio, should they choose to bring him back. Uh, and... Oh, they'd be stupid not to. And Karen Page is clearly just ruined by her perceived death of Matt at the end of, of Defenders. So whether or not she can hold it together or if she starts to go down a very dark path is is questionable. They could certainly set her up that way. Although, how much time can we really say has elapsed? Between Matt's disappearance, unless we want to say the very last scene of Defenders. Oh, no, that's in like 18 months or something. He's been wandering around with a bump on his head, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thinking that he's Batman. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying that in the first Daredevil series, they gave her also a questionable past. So how hard, as as it was fairly easy for Matt to be knocked off the straight and narrow and go back to his ways of vigilante fighting, what would it take to put her back on whatever path that was? The joke I just thought of, I'm going to let slide. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'll totally work. Uh, that could work. Um, it, 
Yeah, Daredevil would have to somehow come in on the back end. I don't know how the timing works out. And we dealt with Nuke in Jessica Jones, and he is not the Nuke that we all expected. So I guess they could put the pieces together. It just seems like they've kind of... It seems like they're starting on their back foot on this one. Yes. I could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. It's just, you know, it, it, to to end Matt's arc in this story with such an... You're right. It was iconic. It's an iconic... Image. Image. Absolutely. And it, it it's very obvious what story it comes from. So you tread carefully with that. Yeah. Hopefully they, they can do well with it. They've done well with the first two seasons of Daredevil. Yeah. Don't get the Iron Fist guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else about uh, Defenders? You want to talk about a couple of books? We can talk about some books. All right. But which one do you want to first uh, do first? Whatever uh, makes you happy. The Superman one or the Mister. Why don't we do Superman first? <laughs> it always ends when we can yell at each other about a, a book. So, well, uh, well, you know what? Though first, first, can we give a shout out to Star Wars Thirty Six? Yes, uh, we both enjoyed this. We decided uh, it's it. it on its own way, it's just another Star Wars book, so we decided it's not one to talk about. Um, but, uh, yeah, written by Jason Aaron. Who did the art? Salvador Laraca. Yeah. This was the most awesome, charming little story about R2-D2 on his own. Yeah. You don't that- have to have read any of the Star Wars before this. You don't need to know what's going on in the overall Star Wars Marvel Universe. Yeah. It's all you need to know, because I'd missed the, the couple issues before this, but all you need to know is the Empire has C-3PO and R2-D2's going to get him. R2 is coming for you. Yeah. So yeah, you want to treat it almost like the wire. R2 coming. Like just... <laughs> <laughs> R2 coming! <laughs> but, and, but it's, and, and through the whole thing is... Uh, caption boxes that are clearly from the owner's manual of a standard R2 unit. Yes. You can expect this kind of behavior from your R2 unit. You can expect your R2 unit will be able to do this and this without heavy modifications, all while R2 is negotiating his way single-handedly through an Imperial Star Destroyer Yes, that he landed on in an X-Wing fighter. <laughs> so it's not like he snuck his way on. Nope. <laughs> and it's R2 going to rescue C-3PO. And it's just... <laughs> and he takes on Vader at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's... And I'm reading this like, my God, this is... This is just... A, it, it, I want to say charming little story, but it's big. He fights Darth Vader for fuck's sake. This might be my favorite single issue of a comic book this year. It's... Uh, all right. Make sure to put it in our list. We're actually trying to keep track this yeah. year for our awards. I mean, I've read a, lot of, read a lot of really good books this year. Um, Shaolin Cowboy, which we haven't talked about a whole lot, is is on my you know favorites list for this year. For example, yep, Black Magic. Um, but this single issue of Star Wars, <laughs> it was a hoot. It was a it was a blast. And uh, yeah, Jason Aaron's uh, run is coming to an end on this. I don't know if this is his last issue, or I think he's got one or two more. Maybe uh, I forget. But but yeah, this this one's well worth it. It yes. was a lot of fun. All right. All right. Now into the shit. <laughs> it's not shit. <laughs> well, we might have differing opinions on them, but uh, all right. Uh, we, we start to go into the money shots of uh, DC Rebirth. The first one being Action Comics 987. Ooh, look, lenticular. Ooh. Well, at least, uh, <laughs> at least unlike Marvel, uh, they're just 
allowing you to buy lenticular. Apparently all Marvel legacy stuff is, oh, you want yourself some lenticular covers. You got to double up your order on books that are not necessarily selling well because we haven't been doing well. So yeah, yeah, just buy twice as many as you're able to sell right now. We'll give you a couple lenticulars. Yeah, I specifically told the owner of our local comic store, it's like, don't, don't, don't even try to give us a lenticular cover <laughs> for the Marvel Legacy stuff. We don't give a shit. Don't put yourself in hawk. Yeah. So we can go, ooh, 3D. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Action Comics 987, written by Dan Jurgens, uh, art by Victor Bogdanovic. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Uh, well, at least it wasn't Ozymandias. Mr. Oz is not Ozymandias. That nope. was my obvious choice. Thank God they managed to say, okay, at least here we're not going to watchmen it up and make Rob rant like a spastic. Yep. So the man behind the curtain who's been doing all of these things, pulling uh, Robin off the board, Red Robin off the board. Red Robin. Uh, he's got Doomsday he's got with Doomsday. two or three others. Yeah. Spoilers, by Spoilers. the way. Yeah, um, who, who made contact with uh, Jonathan Kent. <laughs> Yeah, and the sad thing is when the reveal happened, I, I kind of almost wish it was Ozymandias because at least then I'd be kind of pissed off. Yeah. This is just sort of anticlimactic and weird. It's, it's uh, not, well, it's, yeah, it's, I guess, a little anticlimactic, but also I have to say, all right, here's the spoiler. Mr. Oz is Jor-El. Jor-El, everybody. Dun, and he, dun, dun. And he hates people. Yeah. <laughs> so... In my mind, I'm like, wow, that would be really compelling if we hadn't just watched a whole what happens if Kryptonians are on Earth and haven't been humanized in a whole other series written by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello called Master Race that we just finished. That didn't occur to me at all, but yeah, that's that's a really good point. We've, we've <laughs> like, didn't we just that. do this? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought of that at all. And I should have because I sat down and wrote down the list of comics I want this week and I kind of left off the Master Race hardcover uh, <laughs> for good reason. But look, there is potentially good setup here. I mean, you can kind of see where this story is going to go. Take this with a grain of salt because four months ago I was like, Mr. Oz is going to be Ozymandias. Clearly I know what the fuck I'm talking about. I know exactly, I know everything about comics. And Where's my whiskey funnel? <laughs> so take this with a grain of salt. Uh, but yeah, it sets up Jor-El wants to show Superman humanity's not worth protecting. He sets people up with the choice to do either good or evil all at the same time. So everybody across the world... You know, he puts all these situations up so they all happen at the same time so Superman has to deal with them. And invariably, the people he sets up pick evil. Of course, the problem is the people that he's presenting with this choice are like, you know, rebel armies in Africa, right-wing gun nuts, and fucking endangered species, species poachers. The guys who have already made questionable fucking moral life choices. Yes. It's not like he's handing Starfire in her, you know, naive smiling face a fucking suicide vest and like directions to a mosque or a cathedral or something. Yeah, or or even you know somebody who, you know, they're not. He's not saying to or setting some some parent up to to go into work with their kids Girl Scout cookie order. And, you know, find some way to, to grift that. Yeah, and, pocket the money. Or yeah. <laughs> oh, I was mugged for the Thin Mint, sweetie, but, you know, I bought myself this awesome uh, magazine. Yeah, I, I know that you, your your troop was really counting on this money, but 
uh, mommy was mugged. Meanwhile, mommy is going to the spa. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's we're, we're dealing with dildos here who have our poor choices have already been made. And even the choices that are being presented are not like, you know, the, oh, you can uh, commit genocide or save this puppy. It's <laughs> there's like shitty choices on each side. So they make like the shittier of two bad choices. But yeah. Either way, it pisses Superman off. So you can already see Superman. Yep, it's going to push him to the point of despair. And he might consider listening to dear old dead dad. But then he'll see some individual act of heroism and some individual act of sacrifice. And he'll come around and fight, you know, Jor-El from whatever multiversal world that this particular <laughs> version of Jor-El comes from. Yes, because the multiverse is in play. <laughs> Yeah, but the other problem with this is Jor-El's whole thing is, oh my God, if I'd only known what kind of douchebags live on the planet Earth. Just dildos. Like I didn't realize that Earth was the Kentucky of the universe. <laughs> I, I, I intercepted this podcast where the, the dildo host keeps doing... I burn my family alive. I like to light things on fire. Tries to trick his girlfriend with that. Saw that coming. Kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> At least I didn't try to trick you with this At time. least you didn't play Sugar Man. That's... I thought about it, but then I decided to go light because I don't want Jor-El coming after me. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> the problem with that is... Most of us were, uh, if you're our age, you're brought up with Superman the movie where Jor-El fucking says Superman is going to act as a beacon of good to humanity that is flawed and requires that kind of moral leadership. Even in Man of Steel, which you can argue is apocalypse jack-off porn where Superman fucking kills a guy, Jor-El flat out says Superman will give the people of Earth something to strive for. So that this concept of Jor-El, but I didn't know, doesn't really ring true. And I'm willing to accept it because I'm willing to accept it's probably Jor-El from, yeah, one of Grant Morrison's 52 Earths or the Dark Multiverse going on in metal or something like that. I'm okay with that. But it, yeah, it just rings kind of false because part of Superman's whole deal is he's an ideal for humanity that's baked into the character yes. to, to give humanity something to strive for. Well, and again, I how how are they going to change this up? How are they going to get me invested in a story that I've already kind of seen play out? When you have a Kryptonian who is on Earth dealing with Superman, who was raised by humans and has an inherent humanity because of nature versus nurture, you can't talk them out of things. They get awful strident. Some would say even zealous. Yes. <laughs> and then it leads to punching. It's <laughs> well, I, I want the punching. I'm ready for the punching to be. <laughs> but I, I've read that story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, th this isn't bad. You can kind of see where it's going to go. And and hell, we actually had Zod in Suicide Squad. <laughs> like we've done this recently. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, this is not a particularly new thing. Yeah, it's it has the elements of yep, okay, this can be. And when I call it a classic Superman story, I call it classic in the sense that we've kind of seen stories like this before. Yes. And not that, you know, oh, this is going to go right on my shelf next to Dark Knight Master Race, which isn't there. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it, it, it has classical elements to it. But yeah, it's, uh, I was more psyched when it was going to be, uh, all right, at least I can get pissed off because it's Ozymandias versus Superman. I kind of wanted it to be Ozymandias because at some point then, Especially because he's specifically fucked with the Batman family by taking Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. I want to see Bruce Wayne Batman versus Ozymandias. I, I, the two smartest men alive. Go. Like, <laughs> well, on uh, Jeff John's Twitter feed, he uh, released the second couple of covers from Doomsday Clock. Okay. The second one, uh, both of them are Gary Frank. The second one is Lex Luthor sitting at a desk with somebody's hand on his shoulder with clearly Adrian Veet's gauntlet as Ozymandias. Mm. We're going to see Ozymandias again. And I'll get all spun up when it happens. It'll be great radio. Trust me, I will be prepared to a T. I will have music stands with Watchmen and Dave Gibbons watching the Watchmen and all this shit around me. I'll be a maestro of hate. Just rage <laughs> against the machine. <laughs> so we'll get to that. With this, it's okay. It wasn't what I thought. All right, this looks like it could be a neat little thing. And I don't really think this is the Jor-El from your Krypton. This is from some parallel Earth. So we can get rid of him and pretend it didn't happen. And that's fine. Meh. But, Recycled ideas. Meh. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's, you know, look, I'm glad in this one particular case, DC pivoted against doing a Watchmen gag, despite years of Dan DeDio clearly just waiting for the day to actually do it. But yeah, I'm also I'm kind of disappointed because, all right, I, I see what you did there and now I can kind of see where it's going. Yeah. And it feels like the first kind of misstep in any of the Superman books since Rebirth started. Yeah. And I, and ultimately, yeah, it'll be, how does this play out? Because... It, it could go far more interestingly than I think it will, but... It could. It'd look, again, I was a guy, oh, it's Ozymandias, fuck you. I was wrong about that. <laughs> I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> Why am I wrong? I'm an alcoholic. There we go. <laughs> Speaking of wrong... <laughs> yes. Dun, 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 dun. Mr. Miracle number two. <laughs> Uh, written by Tom King, art by Mitch Gerards. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Uh, <laughs> not a lenticular cover. Not a lenticular cover. Uh, we talked about the first issue. Uh, did we talk about the first issue? I think we may have just mentioned it, actually. I think we might have. It may have fallen into our dead zone of our entire home office, fallen to fucking pieces. That sounds right. But uh, I liked the first one. Uh, you did not. Hi, I'm Scott Free, and I cut myself to feel. <laughs> Amanda was uh, vocal. Uh, last week, we did one of our local comic book store trivia nights, and uh, 201, everybody was like, I'm kind of excited about what Mr. Miracle's doing, uh, except for Amanda, who, please raise your point, because it is very valid. Everybody, There was nobody who didn't agree with you, even though everybody said, yeah, but I'm still kind of looking forward to the rest of Mr. Miracle. Tom King, who hurt you? Tom... I, I, I sense that you're struggling with some sort of existential angst. I say this because in The Vision, in Batman, I am suicide. And in Mr. Miracle, everybody wants to commit suicide. Everybody has, has some existential angst that they're trying to work out for themselves. So I, I just wonder if you're writing your way through your own. And if so, could you write about something else? Because this is the third book in a row where I'm reading the same damn thing. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. I'm at everybody. <laughs> so now you've read the second issue. Uh, has your opinion changed at all? Oh, maybe I'm supposed to be in charge of the new God's planet. Maybe it's not supposed to be Orion. And now we have existential angst, cutting myself to feel, and high school drama. 
Yeah, look. Who's I- giving some- somebody should be giving somebody a back rub in this book? <laughs> Mr. Miracle. I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> I will cop to the fact I have no fucking idea what's going on in this issue. <laughs> That's God's truth. I, I am not entirely sure what's going on. The first issue made readers question whether Scott's perception of reality was correct, whether he was maybe hallucinating or suffering from PTSD. In this issue, I doubt the reality of the entire fucking thing. I, I'm i not sure any of this is actually happening. I don't know if he's crawled up his own ass. I don't know if he's smoked Oberon's ashes. I don't know. Well, if he's crawled up his own ass, he'll find his way out. He's Mr. Miracle. He is the world's greatest escape <laughs> artist. <laughs> uh, yeah, look. I mean, the- if, if the overall metaphor is, you know, how does he escape from his own mind? <laughs> how does he escape? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know how this machine worked. <laughs> it's a right out of the gate. Scott Free's whole deal right from the first Kirby issue was he's the world's greatest escape artist. He's not the world's greatest fucking general. Right. He gets out of shit. It seems very out of character for him to be out just killing dudes. Like, on the first page, he shoots a dude in the back of the head. Yeah. And he's just out killing dudes for pages and pages, hours, and then just sleeping. And then he's off to kill Granny Goodness, although they don't seem all that able to kill Granny Goodness for a while, anyway. Yeah, and it's, that just seemed odd because why would why would you kill Granny Goodness? I mean, yeah, she's evil, but so is Dark Side. <laughs> yeah, it, true. It's I, what I'm taking from this. Maybe, and again, this is a guess. It's early, and he's Tom King is setting it up, so we have to question the entire nature of what we're reading. Uh, it's it seems like there might be a parable about growing up in an abusive situation. I'm, where, I'm sure there is. Where no matter where you are, it's bad choices. We've got Orion forcing Scott to kneel, and we see Granny, who is visibly a dick. But she has Jello. She has Jello, but she also has Stormforge forcing him to starve to death while watching people eat Jello. While still at the same time, this horrible person punishing one person, showing apparent affection to Scott and Barda who both seem to crave her approval, even though they have reason to hate her that we've seen through 50 years of comic books almost. Yes. So they're on both sides, they're told to do terrible things. They're shown forced discipline, and they're forced to obey no matter how they perform on one side or another, and they just seem kind of numb about it. Well, so Bart, I, Bart is the good soldier through it, and we see through Scott's eyes that he's questioning these decisions. Yeah, uh, up to a point. Uh, although he's not really questioning. The first X pages of like, uh, where are you sending me to kill? Okay, yep, for New Genesis. Where am I going to kill today? Yep, for New Genesis. Where am I going today? For New Genesis. Well, I would say by the now time I will he, shower and sleep. I, I would say by the time he gets to Orion and is told to kneel and doesn't readily, <laughs> he's questioning. Yeah, even that I could see as a parable of, you know, okay, if you've got if you're in a foster situation or something and the rules change arbitrarily, do you rebel? Do you do what you're told? But even that, it's it's hard to tell. I didn't grow up in that situation. I'm guessing I'm trying to force some kind of order on this book that, again, I'll cop to the fact I have no idea what's really going on in it. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm trying to force some kind of order on it. And I, I think this might be happening, but it's... I, and I still find it kind of interesting, but yeah, it's, it's even, it's still kind of confusing. We had 22 pages of nine panel grid. 
even that seems to make a statement because the story just ticks. Yeah. So it's whether it's murder or obedience or going to granny goodness or whatever, it's the pace never changes. Things remain solid and predictable. There are no highs. There are no lows. But even that could be reading too much into that because, as I recall, the couple issues of Omega Men that King wrote that I read that I didn't like, so I stopped reading it, same nine-panel grid layout. So maybe I'm trying to force something onto this that just isn't there. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I think we have to let it play out for a few more issues because there's no way to tell, really. I, all, other than... I, like I said, it seems to me like this is a theme that has played out in other books that that King has written. So why do we need to explore it here with this character? You know, I'm not going to find fault with that. Every every writer, every good writer has, I don't want to say bugaboos or things, oh, I, I feel compelled to examine this, but you know, let's... <laughs> Alan Moore for the last 10 years it's been Cthulhu myths and big monster boners Stephen King it's cocaine <laughs> back in the 80s it definitely <laughs> was uh, Frank Miller it's uh, noir and broads and boobs and uh, everybody's got their thing uh, this is apparently something His he's thing. going with you find it far more emo than I do I find a lot of it interesting. I'll stand by the vision as a great miniseries. We've talked about a lot of his Batman issues on this show. And yeah, some of them are like, this is sublime. And others like last week's, really? We're spending another month with fucking Kite Man? With fucking Kite Man? What? <laughs> doesn't Everything doesn't work. <laughs> So I'm willing to give a certain benefit of the doubt. This might work like hell is a trade. This might be, you know, the Watchmen level awesome. It's not terrible as a second part in serialized format, but yeah, if you come into this looking for any kind of catharsis or plot or really clue to anything that's really going on with Scott, you're you're not going to get it in this issue. Warning: This issue may want make you want to go to Hot Topic. <laughs> <laughs> I need juggalo garb so I can feel. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if this is a recommend or not. In any structure that I put onto this, I feel like I forced on it. There's there's stuff moving under the hood. I think he's writing for the trade. Which is very possible. It's, like I said, there's there's stuff going on. This is not, this wasn't a waste of time. This wasn't, uh, you know, ugh, nothing happened here. It's legitimately, I, I don't know what's happening here. I'm far more interested in what is happening here than you are, and that's okay. We can't like all the same shit. That's why you stay out of my beer and I stay out of your wine. It works out for the both of us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I get the feeling we will continue to revisit this series as it comes out. Yes. yes. Just because <laughs> it's fun to watch you get riled up. And I'm guessing it's fun to watch me sort of soft shoe. It's like, oh no, there's something here. <laughs> you had to, you had to like physically restrain me from going over to Tom King's table during Boston Comic Con. <laughs> That's a slight, slight exaggeration. <laughs> Just slight. Hey Rob, look, it's Tom King. He's all by himself. I want to go over there. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> right, like I said, uh, his. 
his work uh, is working generally better for me than it is for you. Besides, yes. he was in the CIA. He can kill you without knowing. That's right. And at the You'll other never end, know what hit you. At the other other end of the table was Rob Liefeld. <laughs> yeah, Christ! If I'm going to make you a fire and forget missile, that's sending you a Tom King. For Christ's sake! Hey, Rob, look, feet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we're dancing. <laughs> Is that it? I, I think, think that's, that's everything we got. All right. Why don't we wrap it up? Okay. Oh, because I'm running out of beer. All right. <laughs> Don't worry. You found this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, let's see. We're on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> we are. As much as I complain <laughs> about us, we're there. We're there, just not on our phone. <laughs> yeah, which makes life a living hell. But yes, you can certainly send us messages there. We'll try to get back to you, just not on the phone. Facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We're on Tumblr, but fuck that. Uh, <laughs> crisis on infinite midlives .com. we're on twitter uh twitter handle is at infinite midlife we are on itunes if that's how you like to get your podcast you can certainly subscribe to us there if you happen to have a minute uh give us a rating give us a review it helps new people find the show we're on google play network we're on stitcher radio we're on TuneIn radio we're proud members of the comics podcast network we're at our local liquor store and we're at our local liquor store <laughs> regularly and I think that's it. Uh, I, yeah. yeah. Is that it? That's it. That's it. This has been episode 161 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Yeah, I was going to close the show with a light things on fire clip, but then I used it. That, that's okay, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I won't do Sugar Man because I like you. I like you too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't patronize me. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs>